In 2016, a rival foreign power, Vladimir Putin's Russia, launched an attack on the United States of America. What we now know is that American intelligence agencies have concluded that Russia planned and executed a campaign to undermine our democracy and to affect our presidential election. But Russia's interference in our election didn't happen in a vacuum. The Russians have been waging influence campaigns across Europe for decades. That's why my colleague Heather Conley studied Russia's operations in Central and Eastern Europe. Her findings are contained in a report that has become a must-read in Washington. It's called the Kremlin Playbook, and you can read it by visiting csis.org. The playbook examines Russia's efforts to gain economic and political influence in Bulgaria, Hungary, Latvia, Serbia, and Slovakia. And, just as importantly, its findings show a broad pattern of Russian behavior that can help us understand Russia's interference in the 2016 United States presidential election. This podcast miniseries is about Russia's tactics and how they've meddled in foreign elections. Episode 1, which you should go back to and listen to if you haven't already, talks about why Russia meddled in the 2016 U.S. election. Episode 2 details how Russia influences elections. And Episode 3, which you're now listening to, is about what options the U.S. has to counter Russia. I'm Andrew Schwartz with CSIS, and you're listening to the Kremlin Playbook. Part 3. What can the United States do to counter Russian interference? To say the least, there's a frenzy in Washington surrounding the 2016 election and Russia's interference in it. Plenty of the buzz is partisan in its tenor, and there's plenty of it to go around on both sides of the aisle. This podcast stays out of that partisan fray and focuses on Russia, what they did, why they did it, and what the U.S. can do about it. It's become clear that whatever your politics are, that Russia interfered in the U.S. election. So what do we do about that? How should we think about it? Well, here's a chilling thought. In late October of 2017, Wired's Garrett Graff wrote that if the release of half-century-old files related to John F. Kennedy's assassination is any guide, we as a country may never feel like we fully understand what transpired in 2016. And let's think about the scope of what we're learning about Russia's interference. This fall, Facebook said that Russia-based operatives published some 80,000 posts on Facebook over a two-year period in an attempt to influence U.S. politics, reaching an estimated 126 million Americans. Twitter says that it's discovered thousands of previously undisclosed accounts tied to the Russian troll farm behind the Facebook campaign. And Google says that over 1,000 videos were uploaded to YouTube by Russian trolls on 18 separate channels. There's bipartisan agreement in Congress that this is much bigger than a social media problem. Dianne Feinstein, a California Democrat who sits on the Senate Intelligence Committee, represents the tech community who make their global headquarters in Northern California. She had a stark warning for the nation and for Facebook, Twitter, and Google when they came to testify on Capitol Hill in late October about Russia's manipulation of social media. What we're talking about is a cataclysmic change. What we're talking about is the beginning of cyber warfare. What we're talking about is a major foreign power with the sophistication and ability to involve themselves in a presidential election and sow conflict and discontent all over this country. A few weeks before Feinstein's remarks, former President George W. Bush called for securing our electoral infrastructure and called out the Russian government. America must harden its own defenses 
Our country must show resolve and resilience in the face of external attacks on our democracy. And that begins with confronting a new era of cyber threats. America has experienced a sustained attempt by a hostile power to feed and exploit our country's divisions. According to our intelligence services, the Russian government has made a project of turning Americans against each other. This effort is broad, systemic, and stealthy. It's conducted across a range of social media platforms. Ultimately, this assault won't succeed, but foreign aggressions, including cyber attacks, disinformation, and financial influence, should never be downplayed or tolerated. It's a clear case where the strength of our democracy begins at home. We must secure our electoral infrastructure and protect our electoral system from subversion. My colleague Heather Conley is the author of the Kremlin Playbook. Heather spends her time thinking about what makes the U.S. most vulnerable to Russia's subversion, or as it's called in tradecraft speak, active measures. What I've been struck by is one of the weaknesses that I'm seeing Russia exploit is our, our partisanship. When we are unified in message, they have fewer resources to use. Because when the American people hear a strong message from both the left and the right to say, this is clearly what is going on, um, no one's playing politics with it, we've got to do this for our national security, okay, they have less to exploit if we're going to be pointing fingers at each other and uh, and you know saying the other guy's worse than the other. They have a field day. Any And it's not just Russia. Any adversary can have a field day. So bipartisanship, strong transparency, oversight. We have to communicate to the American people how why this is so important. It's not politics. This is not a you know, a Republican or Democrat issue. It is a national security issue, and we have to focus on this domestically. And this is not going to be solved by sending a soldier overseas. This is happening inside our country. Conley says that Russia is turning our most important strength as a nation against us. It's in Russia's doctrine. It's called new generation warfare. It's military doctrine. Uh, this whole strategy of influence. And what they've said, it's a strategy of influence, not of brute force. It is in its essence, and again, one thing I'm very thankful for, Russia, Russia really tells us what they're doing. We just choose not to listen and take it seriously. They've said that it is better to break the coherence, the internal coherence of the enemy. That's what they're trying to do. So that's why the the focus on the elections and our institutions and our way of life, it's our internal coherency that is their focus. It's not our military strength overseas. It's entire, internal to us. And that's what we have the hardest time, any democracy, because we are open societies. We wrestle with tough issues. We're very open. They're using that uh, against us right now. CIA Director Mike Pompeo agrees with Heather Conley. He made the same point in mid-October. We have some disadvantages there. We operate a democracy that is far easier for ISIS or for the Russians or for other nefarious actors that don't operate in a democratic environment to, uh, to exercise these active measures. So many experts and policymakers seem to be on the same page about this issue. But what do we do about it? My colleague at CSIS, James Andrew Lewis, is one of the world's foremost experts in technology policy and its intersection with national security. Lewis spends a lot of time studying Russia's methods and thinking about ways to deter Russia. They're uh, astute 
at thinking about Western political trends, and they realized that the decline of the legitimacy of Western democracies, the openness of Western democracies, gave them an opportunity not only to defend themselves, but to achieve some long-cherished goals like splitting the U.S. and NATO, like the thing they just did with the Gulf Cooperation Council, uh, as a way to discredit Western democracy. So they've gone from this as a defensive operation, as an operation to restore Russia as a great power, to one where they now are aggressively pursuing these larger political goals that they've had for decades. Do they think that we're weak? Uh, They think we're imbeciles. There's um, ample evidence to show that the Russians believe that we are what they would call strategic imbeciles. And they look at uh, Afghanistan, uh, they look at Iran, uh, they look at uh, Syria, and they say these people, they're, they're tactically brilliant, they're operationally powerful, but they're strategic imbeciles. So it's not that they think we're weak, it's that they think we're idiots. Lewis also believes that Russia doesn't fear U.S. retaliation. They are not bound by law. And they have lost their fear of us in some areas. They believe they have found a combination of tactics that allows them to evade U.S. retaliation. So they're good because they've practiced, uh, because they don't have any scruples, and because they don't particularly feel fear. But Lewis thinks the United States must seriously consider retaliation against Russia. The more tactical approach would be to um, retaliate against the Russians. And the previous administration was too timid to do that. This administration is conflicted on how to respond to the Russians. Um, It's possible that some of our larger European partners may take things into their own hands. But you need to let the Russians know that there are penalties for this kind of behavior. And what those penalties would be, how you would execute them in a way that would not lead to a greater conflict. Those are difficult problems, but they're not impossible problems. In the Kremlin Playbook report, Heather Conley recommends a strategy for countering Russia. She told the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Crime and Terrorism about her strategy last spring. So in our report, uh, we recommend that our first line of defense is strengthening Western democratic institutions and societies. We believe that the Treasury Department will play a critical role in how we combat uh, Russian economic influence by tracking and tracing illicit uh, Russian-linked financial flows. We uh, encourage strongly a very robust cooperation with the European Union in fighting uh, these corrupt practices, strengthening the independent judiciary and independent media and governance practices of our NATO allies, building uh, and strengthening financial transparency requirements and beneficial ownership will go an extraordinary way to prevent these corrupt practices to further Russian influence. Finally, I'd like to say in our U.S. embassies, we need to start thinking of our legal attaches as perhaps playing as critical a role in defending the United States as our defense attaches, our national security and the security of America's most important allies rests on our ability to resist Russia's strategy of influence, and thus far, we have failed. James Andrew Lewis believes that failure is not an option. Uh, I think the goal is to find measures that are temporary and reversible so that it's not like we're going to destroy something. It's like for a couple days, they won't be able to access foreign bank accounts. Would that be enough? We don't know. But at least it starts the game. 
we have to punch back in this game. Is there a fear that if we punch back too hard and then they punch back, that this escalates to something beyond electronic warfare? Uh, yes, there is a fear, and that has been more crippling for the West than it has been for the Russians. But we may be past the point where that's a, a primary concern. We need to think more about if we do not take action, will that only embolden the Russians to, to move further? We have to tell them, okay, far enough. Next time, it's not going to be another nasty letter from the White House. It's going to be something a little more direct. The Russians are unavoidably connected to the global economy, and it's those connections that offer an opportunity for temporary reversible interference. And this sounds, this is a little warmongery, and it is a little uh, hardcore. But Lewis thinks the Russians haven't left the U.S. many choices. The other options are pray a lot, uh, remonstrate with them, uh, hope they go away. Maybe there's some others I've left out, but you know I think that's what we have to think about now is it's not a new Cold War, but it is a conflict. And in a conflict, the side that is passive uh, will not win. Indeed, the debate over what the U.S. can do to counter Russian interference will continue on. In Washington, it's constantly discussed in public and behind closed doors. And with the 2018 midterm elections just around the corner, it's abundantly clear that time is a precious commodity. I'm Andrew Schwartz, and you've been listening to The Kremlin Playbook. Your feedback is really important to us. So leave a review of The Kremlin Playbook on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to The Kremlin Playbook on Apple Podcasts too. If you love the show, it's easy to share it with a friend on Apple Podcasts. The Kremlin Playbook podcast is produced by Francis Berkham with assistance from Sophie Codner, Gabby Lisko, and Emily Birnbaum.